0: Welcome to the Redeemer Coast podcast. Our prayer is that this message will inspire hope, build your faith and encourage you with God's purposes for your life. God. So we've been doing a series on redeeming relationships and we're just looking at our core scriptures from John 13 chapter 34 and 35 and it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one another. And we find it interesting here that Jesus uh, said that A new commandment I give to you that you love one another in the same way that I have loved you. Which tells me that there is a type of love that the world has or a type of love that we experience, uh, which is not necessarily the type of love that God has for us, and it's not necessarily how we're to love other people. Love is. You know, it's one of those uh, sermon series. Honestly, that you you um, you hear, oh, we're doing a series on love, and everyone goes, "Oh, that's good," <laughs> you know, or most people go, "Oh, that's okay." You know, we'd rather hear um, series on on healing, on miracles, on all these great things on spiritual things or would rather hear something that pumps us and lifts us and gets us running but really the topic of love and in particular the love that God has for us there is no topic that is more transformational for us and our relationships because it is how God relates to us and it is how we can and should and will relate to others. And when it comes down to it, folks, it's actually all about relationships. And I was, um, I was thinking about meditating on this this morning and I felt in me that love, this, this expression, that love is the answer to every problem that sin throws at us. That love is the answer to every problem that sin throws at us. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But we have looked at, uh, a few weeks ago, we looked at um, the love-shaped hole and how it is the basic need of everyone to be loved and to love. Um, We looked at forgiveness. And forgiveness is a hard issue. It's a hard issue to get your head around and your heart around. Because we are called to forgive like God forgives. Now, unfortunately, uh, as a church and as a society, but especially as a church, we tend to conflate the issue of forgiveness with a few other issues, uh, such as restoration. We tend to conflate forgiveness with other issues such as repentance or justice. And again, I was praying about that this week, and I felt in my heart if we want justice, we need to first go to the cross. We need to first go to the cross. And then look down from the cross and see how we feel about justice, then, in whom we're asked to forgive. But we are called to forgive like God forgives. And the Bible says that God was in Christ Jesus redeeming. Now redeeming is the flip side to forgiveness because forgiveness means to cut, to cut any debt that anyone owes you. That's what it means, to cut that debt. Redemption means to pay that debt. So God was in Christ Jesus while we were yet sinners. While we were yet sinners, God was in Christ Jesus redeeming the world to him and reconciling the world to him. 2 Corinthians 5. And then it goes on to say but our ministry is to ask the world to be reconciled to God. So this operation of love in forgiveness, it's it's to heal primarily to heal your heart. And to heal us and to cut us from the debts of hurt that we feel people owe us so that we can then minister love in that situation and we can be reconciled to that person in that we can love that person in the same way that God loves them. But I I do need to say, because I know it gets conflated, I know it gets confused, that doesn't necessarily mean that they have in turn then come and reconciled themselves to us. All right? Because if that was the case, then if God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to him, then we wouldn't need to then turn around to the world and plead that, that they be reconciled with God, would we? All right. So what forgiveness and love does with us, it, it takes the burden off us. It allows us to be healed of those hurts and to then in turn minister to love to other people. And this idea of, of, of reconciliation, that we can then treat someone as we love them and want the best for them, but that doesn't necessarily that doesn't mean at all that we stay a victim in that situation. That doesn't mean we stay getting hurt in that situation. All right? Uh, so it's important to realize that the, the love of God makes hard choices, and sometimes the love of God says hard things. Okay, um, but it can say it from a position that isn't hurt. All right, so we 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 need to clarify that, but um, turn with me to one Peter chapter four, because there's an interesting verse here before we go into our main. scripture today I wanted to cover this One Peter chapter 4 verse 8 and it says this above all keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sin above all keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. And what I want to get across today is that the operation of love in our life lifts other people from the burden of sin and lifts other people from where they are stuck in the mire of this world to where God wants them to be. And here it says in 1 Peter 4, 8, that fervently love each other because love covers a multitude of sins now that doesn't mean that love hides sin all right but what it does mean is that love protects people from the effect of sin and there's a difference because the the Greek and the Hebrew languages are very very visual and it's like, and it's like this it's it's like an eagle covering her 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 uh, chicks underneath her from the effect of sin it's like that that you know if if you're looking up uh, to to look at the sun and it's an eclipse and you put one of those glasses in front of your eyes so that you can look at that but you you won't be affected by the, the those rays on you the bible says love Uh, to love each other fervently because love covers a multitude of sin. Now that tells me that the operation of love in our life and the operation of love in in ministering to others is going to negate the effect of sin on their life. And if you look and and really think about what, what causes sin and what causes anger and what causes strife and it really comes down to this very basic need that we have in us to be loved and to love others unconditionally and and we've reverted to replace that with other things and so we we look to wrong relationships we we look to um worldly things to 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 fill that hole of love but love will cover a multitude of sins and when we learn the love that God has for us, it's a balm on that. And, and when we apply love to other situations, it, it's, it's a balm on that situation. And love's tough. It's interesting that the Bible talks about loving in your heart, love from your heart and forgiving from your heart. And then Jesus talked about, it, of course, in Mark 11, he said that if you believe in your heart... And that tells me there's going to be something on the inside of us that has, because the Bible says the love of God is shed abroad in our heart. And there's going to be something inside of us that knows what the operation of love is in that situation. But our head is going to be screaming for revenge. My head is going to be screaming for, well, I'm not going to love unto you to, to you repent, to you come to me and say you're sorry. I'm not going to love unto you until you make some step towards towards towards. Um, Make it up for what you did. See, it's demanding justice. But our heart will know that the need for them is love. Look at it this way. If we need something from someone else before we can operate love on their life, then they are coming between us and the operation of God in our life. If we need them to do something, to say something to be something, then really what we're saying is that you're going to have to give a little bit before I think I can love you. But love covers a multitude of sins. And we're called to love the unlo- unlovable. Now I know and I understand, especially uh, in abuse situations, and especially in children being abused, that that scar, the scar that that leaves, is so raw and so deep that it's the ministry of love through the Holy Spirit, really, that that can heal that and change that and allow that person to love again. Otherwise, it just keeps going, generation from generation, from generation to generation. And time and time again you see people that have, have been the abusers in a situation and when you go and look at their life, they were abused. And they've never come to this, this knowledge of God's love for them so that they can, they can pour love, they can pour that balm, they can cover a multitude of sins in someone else's life to protect them from the effect of sin. All right. So let's turn to John uh, 13, because, uh, back to John 13, because there's a wonderful story here I want to go through with you uh, about Jesus washing his disciples' feet. This is one of these beautiful stories that doesn't really convert well culturally, to uh, to australia all right it doesn't really convert culturally too well to our situation but it was incredibly significant for the disciples so i'd love to unpack that a little bit and just talk about how the operation the operation of love was in this situation so we'll read it uh we'll read through it um, john chapter 13 verse 1 so before the feast of the passover jesus knowing that his hour had come And that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things in his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. Now, I read that introduction because that is the Apostle John's way of saying, this is huge this is a really significant time because he he sums up everything and he sums up the situation that jesus was in and and he puts one book end there he says this is big he's meeting with disciples he knows the end is near and we've talked about this because he spends the next four chapters 13 14 15 16 and 17 is that five he spends them going through the real key issues that they are, which we know I've talked about before. Really, it's about being led by the Holy Spirit personally and walking in love. They're the two key issues. And really, if you think about it, if we were a church that had as had things as important as what, as what Jesus had them, then we'd probably make those two things our big issues. How to know the voice of God and how to walk in love. And then he books it. Bookends that on one end there to say this was really big. He knew the time has come, all right. And then uh, and he books it. Bookends it over on the other side with uh, verse seventeen. He says, "Truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater." Verse sixteen: A slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. So he creates two big bookends, and he's about to demonstrate the operation of love with his disciples. He knows that the end is near. He knows that the end is near, and he knows he's basically got this is his last evening with his disciples. And so the Bible says he gets up from the meal, and they'll probably lounge they'll probably lounge down because very often the Passover meal they they lounge down on their side like that they had cushions and they lounge down and he gets up from the meal and it says he takes his robe off so they had outer robes and they had an inner robe like that he takes his robe off and he girds himself up so this inner linen robe he pulled up and he tied it around there and knotted it round in a knot there he girded himself up like that and he picked up a towel now you imagine this it, now um, they had already come into the house they had already sat down they'd already started to eat so this was not gonna be washing their feet like you would when you come into the house you understand so he's it like typically you'd come they come in from a long day and, and there'd be a, a servant and by the way the servants that wash their feet were they weren't to be the Jewish servants they're typically the lowest rung of servants they, were, they had Gentile servants they're the ones that wash their feet And um, we have read this story to be about humility, and it is about humility. It is about servant leadership. It is about servant leadership. But there's also another key meaning in here that he's taking the time, especially with Peter, to illustrate. And it says that so they they could have already washed their feet. They may have already washed their feet because that was typical. So they've come in and they've... The food's been laid out before them, and they're all laying down. They're all laying down to eat, and then Jesus gets up. And John is so graphic and he's so visual in this. And obviously, this was to be a demonstration. And he says to these disciples, "This is to be a demonstration to you as to how you are to relate to each other." Now, um, humility, servanthood, yes. Amen. I don't want to belittle those in anything. Uh, in fact, you can see in a minute the, the the pride of Peter when he starts to argue with Jesus about the demonstration. Now you got this illustration all wrong, Jesus. He goes, "I'm sorry, it shouldn't be you. It should be me washing your feet." Can you can you imagine that? You know, I think it's hard for me as a pastor when I get corrected, uh, but people in my congregation. But imagine Jesus getting corrected by Peter, which just goes to show. That uh, like false humility, you'll miss. You'll miss what God's got for you. You'll miss it. And you'll think you're right. You will think Peter was sure he was right. But he was missing what Jesus had for him. So he girds his loin, he takes up the towel, and he gets a bowl of water, and then he sits down at the disciples' feet. He kneels down. And he puts the bowl under their feet. He starts to wash wash their feet. And he wipes them. And then he moves on to the next one. And they're sitting there like... For a start, I think they probably already had their feet washed. And he said, what's he doing? And he gets to Peter, and Peter starts to correct him. So just have a look what Peter says here. Verse 5, he poured the water into the basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with his towel, which he's girded. So he came to Simon Peter. I love John and Peter. They must have had this relationship, really. (laughs) Like John was almost always dobbing on Peter. Really, John was the 70-year-old. He's always, you know, like he talks about Peter doing this and Peter running to to the tomb. With with the other disciple, which was him, and how he beat t- Peter to the to the tomb, you know. So there's obviously some, some daddy issues between between John and Peter. And uh, it, Peter said to him, "Lord, do you wash my do you wash my feet? Do you wash my feet?" And Peter hadn't got it uh, obviously about humility and servanthood. He says, "Why are you washing my feet?" And Jesus answered and said to him. What I, do, what I do to you now, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. He says, what I'm, get, what I'm doing to you now, you do not realize the significance of this, but you will understand later. Now, I put it to you that the humility side of it was very obvious. It was very obvious, wasn't it? He pointed it out. Thank you. You can say amen if you like. He he pointed out, because Peter said to him, you're washing my feet. How is it that you're washing my feet? And Jesus looked up to him. He said, you don't understand yet the importance of this. But after. Now, this was a theme uh, all through John. This is one of John's motifs. Motifs. Is this idea that there was things Jesus did then that they didn't understand till after, and the after was after the resurrection. And you find this three or four places through John where he said they didn't understand this now, but they understood it after. They didn't understand who Jesus was, but they understood it when he was resurrected. So, his, so Jesus is saying, if you don't understand this now, but you will understand. And then they go through this discourse. They go through this little conversation. Peter said to them, Never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If you do not wash, if I do not wash you, you have no part of me, or no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only wash his feet, but is completely clean. But you are... Uh, he, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, for they are completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you, referring to, for referring to Judas. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments, he reclined at the table and he said to them, Do you know what I've done for you? Well, we just need to just get a few little things in context, if you don't mind, before we come to the main point of this. The first, the first thing is... Um, The difference between bathed, you say, now Jesus, uh, Peter said, well, you're going to wash part of me. Peter said to him, if you're going to wash part of me, then wash all of me. And Peter said to him, you've been bathed already. And the one who's been bathed is clean. And all you need is an occasional wash now. All right. And then he said to him, if you don't let me wash you, you will have no part of me. Now, we'll just go to that word, the, the thing part there. The word part there means portion. It, it, can be, um, it can be dissected as in you won't have one-tenth of Jesus. All right? It can be that, but I, I don't think it means that. Okay? It also means you won't have what's due you. You won't have your, your inheritance. You won't be able to enjoy what I have for you. You won't be able to live life to the fullest unless you let me wash you. Uh, which means that, that, that Peter and the disciples were entitled to something, entitled to live uh, in a life that God has for them. But unless they let Jesus wash them, unless, unless they in fact wash each other, that, then they weren't going to be able to live in this. And then there's two words there that he uses, one's wash and one's bathe. Well, the word wash is like if you're washing, like you, you go and you wash your hands, just your hands. Or this instance, he washed part of you, just your feet. He you just washed the feet. But the word bathe means to be washed all over. And in fact, it's like when they were preparing. A, we watched. A, we were watching a movie last night, which we watched for Father's Day, which was about these twelve true story twelve American soldiers that went and helped out in Afghanistan. And in one of the scenes, it was after. It was after a. Um, after a. Um, a conflict, and the Afghani's, the Muslims were, were washing the dead, and they washed every single part of them like that, all over every single part. And you can see in the background they're washing, and preparing this this body for burial, and that's that's the word that Jesus used for bath, and it's reminiscent of our. It, it reminds us of our baptism in Christ, where we're fully immersed, fully covered, fully immersed in. In Him, and we come out totally washed, totally clean. And so Peter, uh, Jesus turns to Peter and he said, "I've already bathed you. If you've been bathed by me, you are clean. If you've been bathed by me, you are clean." And yet he still kneels down, and he takes their feet and he washes their feet. And he says, you guys need to do this to each other. You need to love the way that I love and do this to each other. And I suspect, and I put it to you, that they knew exactly what was going on because they knew exactly what the washing of the feet were. It wasn't a cleanliness thing. They didn't have to wash their feet for a legal reason or part of the law or anything like that. It was just... You know, it was the grime of the day that had stuck to them. It was the, you know, they're walking along and of course, you know, they had donkeys and they had all sorts of things there and, and, uh, you know, they would have been walking everywhere and then they go, you know, and, you know, what's the brown stuff in between first century Israel it's, toes, it's the donkey mess. You know, it would have been there. They would have sort of shaken it off. And and then the, the mud that was kicking out. And if you've ever been into a third world country, you know, the stink and all sorts of things that run down the, the path and all sorts of stuff. And that would, you know, from... It would have been on them like that. And Jesus was saying to Peter, you aren't what has stuck to you today. You aren't defined by... The failures, by what the world has defined you as being today, you're not defined, uh, uh, the the sin that you've picked up, that's not who you are, I've washed you, you're clean. But if you don't get together with each other and wipe this muck off every day, regularly, you are not going to live in the joy and the victory and the portion that I have for you. That tells me a few beautiful things about love and the operation of love. Jesus was able to separate the person, the real person, who they were in God, with the muck that had stuck to them. He was able to do that. He was able to see past the grit and, and the grime. And he was able to see the value in that person the person who's redeemed, who's loved of God, who's been born of God, who's been made righteous. And he said, you know, like not all of them, because Judas wasn't, but he said the 11 of them there, they were clean, but they were covered in grime. But they were clean. And it tells me that Jesus understands. He understands as we go through life and we get hurt and we, and, and we lash out uh, because of how we were hurt when we were a kid. And he understands that that's not who you really are. You're loved, you're valued, you're righteous. We, um, When we were in Bible college, uh, we uh, had spent all our money in the first year, as Bible college students often do all right, and we were left with just a couple of hundred dollars. Uh, we had bought a nice Lincoln, uh, Lincoln uh, sorry, a Mercury. It was just a small car, but it was a nice one. Mercury is one of those good American brands, and it was worth five or $6,000, and we'd come down to a couple of hundred dollars in the bank. So we, we sold this car to a friend, and, and, and that's all we had left to go through the, the, uh, the rest of the year. And one of the ladies that I was working with this is that southern lady that invited me to her house, you know, the one that I said, should I wear thongs to? Those of you that know that other story. A friend of hers had a, a, a Chevy Beretta. They don't make them anymore, but it's like a small, small-sized Chevrolet, and it's got a, a big engine in it. It had a V6 three-liter engine in it. And she had, a friend of hers had this Chevy Beretta. She realised that we had sold our car. She said, I've got a friend that's got a Beretta she's trying to sell, and she might be interested in it. And she went and found out about it. It had done like 20,000 miles. It was hardly anything. It was just their second little car they ran to the shop about it. And she said, I don't think she wants much for it. And she went and asked a friend. And a friend came back. And the friend was really embarrassed because her, f- the, her friend had a child uh, who had um, like quite severe emotional issues and, and, and demanded food in the back. And it had quite literally smothered the inside of this Chevy Beretta with grime and dirt and the whole thing was covered and the seat was covered and the whole thing everywhere from the driver's seat back, it was a two-door driver. it was just, it was putrid. And uh, my friend said to us, she said, listen, it's really dirty, she doesn't want much for it. All she's asking is $600. So this was, so we, we went out and looked at it and we bought this car for $600. And, uh, and, and I took it home and I actually took it to a mechanic first and I said, can you do a mechanical check? He said, how much did you pay for it? I said, $600. He just laughed at me. He said, what do you want me to check? It? It's $600, you know. So we went down there and I got a bucket of, of suds and a bucket of water and a little scrubber and a cloth and I scrubbed the inside of that Chevy Beretta so clean it was like new. And all of a sudden, this car, which had been covered with... So much grime that for this father family, for the situation that they were in, that 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 car represented all their emotional hurts, all the issues they had with their child and all that. But, But for just a mere $600, we got this and we scrubbed it and we cleaned it. I'm telling you, it was like new. I polished it up. You know, just got a polish and it was this steel blue color, and and it was shining, it was glistening. I got black on black on it, and I, I blackened that tires like this, and and we parked it in front of our house. And Linda comes out and looks at it. She goes, "Wow!" Linda loved that car. You asked her, she loved that car because we paid six hundred dollars, and it had this V six three little three liter engine in it in this little car like the size of a Corolla. You know. A, like you could not get that onto the main road without the rear wheel spinning. You just couldn't do it. It's like, it's just, you know, it was like, I had to jump into traffic, the wheels were go, because I had this V6, and we love that car. You know. But who knows that that Chevy Beretta was there all the time. The low mileage, the beautiful model, underneath the grime, underneath this, that, and that, it was a beautiful car. We loved it. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, you know, love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers. This was Peter. Earlier in 1 Peter, he says, love each other fervently because we've been born of a seed which is imperishable. And love covers a multitude of sins. Love is, it looks past that dirt and that grime and ministers and ministers healing and ministers forgiveness if we're operating in love what the prime thing about operating is love is to pull out what god has done in that person's life to magnify what god has done in those life in that life the bible says love doesn't delight in unrighteousness but It doesn't delight in sin, but delights in righteousness. And and properly interpreted, that delight means it doesn't uh, rejoice, It it doesn't make a fan for so if you're you see all those guys last night at jt's last last game down there and i think jt kicked a goal or something like that they're all they're all rejoicing in that victory and love doesn't rejoice or love doesn't magnify sin or love doesn't celebrate sin love celebrates righteousness love celebrates the operation what god has done in people's lives and so when we, you know, one of the things we do every week in Hangout, we go through, we tell a little story of what's happened to us during the week and, and, and we share some of the things that have gone on. And just to hear each other every week, encourage that person and to celebrate righteousness and to wipe that, that grime off of them. That's the operation of love. Love magnifies in a person what God sees and people are beautiful they may they may look like this ugly Chevy Beretta but the more love you've got to look through that the more you can magnify what's right in them and, and you can pour love into that situation you can change, change people before we get ready for communion but there was this situation some years ago one of my kids I won't I won't tell you which one, but he, <laughs> he was in, a youth, in was a youth group and we were sitting there, the youth group was hanging around after church one time and, uh, and um, I, this particular child of mine that you can tell whenever he's feeling hurt because like the rest of us, you start clawing at things and start demanding things and hurt people demand their way, you know that? Hurt people have to have, to have their way in a situation because they're hurt they've got to have their way and he was there just demanding there was a bunch of kids, youth kids hanging around like this and he's there demanding his way. he said well let's do this and let's do that he's like 12 years of age he's going let's do this, let's do that and there was this beautiful islander kid there who um, was just, I could see her, because Linda and I were over at this side of the church, and they were over that side of the church where the banner is, and I could just see him getting like this, going, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. You know, love, love, the Bible says love doesn't demand its own way, so the reverse of love demands its own way. The reverse of love tries to force people to do things. Right. And then this beautiful little island girl, islander girl, she's Papuan actually, just walked up to him and, she just wrapped her arms around him like this. And I could see him go like this, you know. And she goes, Lukey, we love you. <laughs> it had nothing to do with what was going on. But obviously, this person knew love. And she knew that that this kid was trying to get this way. and try, And really, all he was wanting was unconditional love and acceptance. And it just went... So life just we just sighed just breathed out like that and he just breathed out like that he went away to a camp later with those things and those kids and he got baptized in the spirit and all that sort of stuff and he came back more loved more happy more content than we had ever seen him in his life love covers a multitude of sins love wipes the grime off from the day when your partner comes to you or your friend comes to you and they're ugly They're not really ugly, they're hurting. Thank you for listening. We trust that you've been encouraged by the message. Please consider leaving a review and subscribing to receive new content. For more information about Redeemer Coast, visit www.redeemercoast.com or find us on social media where our handles are at Redeemer Coast. Until next time.